0: Hello, Forgotten Events listeners. Welcome back. I am your host, Katie. The holidays are here, and so are some interesting stories that occurred during the Christmas time season. Our story today is about a bank robbery that took place at Christmas time by none other than Santa himself. The location was Cisco, Texas a small central Texas town that remains fairly small still today. The event? The Santa Claus Bank Robbery of 1927. This is the story of the Cisco, Texas Christmas Bank Robbery. December 23rd when Marshall Ratliff, dressed as Santa Claus, along with his friends Henry Helms and Robert Hill, both ex-cons, and Lewis Davis, a relative of Helms, held up the first national bank in Cisco, Texas. This robbery is one of Texas's most infamous crimes, having invoked the largest manhunt ever seen in the state of Texas. As a matter of fact, one witness said, that this was the most spectacular crime in the history of the Southwest, surpassing any in which Billy the Kid or the James Boys ever figured. Marshall Ratliff was an ex-con who had lived in Cisco before being imprisoned for a bank robbery he committed in Valera, Texas. Ratliff was given a long prison sentence, but he had been paroled just prior to the infamous bank robbery. During this period in Texas, three or four banks were being robbed every day, and in response, the TBA, the Texas Bankers Association, had offered a $5,000 reward to anyone shooting a bank robber during the crime. This wasn't good for Ratliff and his small gang. Ratliff knew that he would be immediately recognized if he returned to the city of Cisco. This made the heist a dangerous undertaking for the gang, so Ratliff decided to conceal his identity by disguising himself as Santa Claus. Such a disguise would also forego any suspicions by people in the bank. Now all Ratliff needed was his disguise, so he borrowed a Santa suit from Mrs. Midge Tellett, who ran the boarding house where he had been staying in Wichita Falls, once he got the suit, the men jumped in the car and took off for the city of Cisco. Once there, the group let Ratliff out several blocks from the bank. Ratliff, dressed as Santa, was smiling as he strolled down Avenue D, Main Street, in Cisco. He stopped to chat with eager children, answering their questions along the way. The Main Street of Cisco at that time was crowded with people going about their daily activities, getting ready for Christmas. Everyone was in the Christmas spirit, so no one thought it odd when Jolly St. Nick came strolling down the street just one day before Christmas Eve. Still followed by children attracted to Santa, Ratliff joined the other three in an alley and led the way to the bank some of the happy children who had followed Santa unfortunately continued into the bank behind him. Once inside, Ratliff received a pleasant greeting from the cashier. Strangely, Ratliff did not respond but walked to a desk in the middle of the lobby where bank customers wrote out their deposit slips. The cashier again called out to Santa, and again, no response from Ratliff. At this point, Ratliff's accomplice, Robert Hill, entered the bank, pointed a pistol at the cashier, and said, hands up. The second bandit, Henry Helms, entered brandishing a gun, followed by Davis. Ratliff would eventually obtain a gun while inside the bank, and there would be four men now armed, including Santa himself. Ratliff ordered the cashier to open the safe and began stuffing money and bonds into a sack that he had hidden beneath his costume while the others covered the customers and employees. Ratliff grabbed money from the tellers and then forced one to open the bank's vault, according to an eyewitness. Police Chief G. E. Bedford, better known as Bit, seized a riot gun and started for the scene. He instructed officers to cover the back door of the bank. The chief posted himself at the alley, which ran alongside the bank and opened at the bank's front on Avenue D, while Officer Carmichael took a position near another alley, which ran behind the bank. Meanwhile, inside the bank, one of the men with an automatic weapon in each hand said to the bookkeeper, don't look at me. By this time, Santa Claus had filled his sack and exited the vault. The question of who fired the first shot remains uncertain, though. Some sources state Ratliff, dressed as Santa, fired the first, the bullet striking the bank's plate glass window, possibly to signal unseen accomplices that the robbery had been accomplished. While other sources say that Hill, seeing someone outside, fired a shot through the window and a shot was returned, prompting Hill to fire several more shots into the ceiling to show that they were armed. A barrage of gunfire began as many civilians who owned guns were now outside the bank, and many more had rushed to the hardware store to obtain pistols and rifles. The assistant postmaster and the postmaster were two of the civilians who took up arms against the robbers. They opened fire and a rifle bullet struck one of the fugitives in the arm. A bullet also struck a cashier in the jaw and another struck a bank customer in the leg. One customer made a run for it and was able to tell the police officers about the hostages. The robbers forced all the people in the bank out the door and towards their vehicle. Several of these hostages were wounded as they emerged into the alley, including the bank president, Alex Spears. Also, Chief Bedford was hit five times and died. Most of the customers escaped, but unfortunately, the robbers kept as hostages two little girls, 12-year-old Laverne Comer and 10-year-old Emma Mae Robertson. Using the girls as shields, the four made their way into the alley to their getaway car. Officer Reddys ran to the police station and retrieved a rifle and began to pursue the robbers on foot. He was soon picked up and continued the pursuit with a civilian driver. As the four robbers began their getaway, traveling south on Avenue D, they realized that they were almost out of gas, not thinking to fill the tank beforehand. By the way, nobody thinks that bank robbers are very smart. As they neared the edge of town pursued by the determined mob, one of their tires was flattened by a shot from a police officer. The robbers jumped out of the vehicle, brandishing their guns to commandeer a passing vehicle driven by 14-year-old Woodrow Wilson Harris, who eventually gave the car up. The robbers moved the loot, their hostages, and their injured friend to the vehicle, avoiding all the gunfire. Somehow, they avoided getting hit. When they had finally transferred themselves to the new getaway car, only then did they realize that they could not start the car because Harris had cleverly taken the keys from the ignition when ordered to stop. Davis was by then unconscious, so they left him in the car they moved back to the first car with their two hostages. Robert Hill, the one who had followed Ratliff into the bank, was struck by a rifle bullet during the aborted transfer to Harris's car. They did not realize until later that they had left the money in the Oldsmobile with the wounded Davis. The determined mob found Davis and the money and temporarily gave up their chase. They had stolen $12,400 in cash and 150000 in non-negotiable securities. For Davis, who was a last-minute replacement for the group, this was the only crime he ever committed. He was transferred to a Fort Worth hospital where he later died from his gunshot wounds. The trio raced back down Avenue D. The driver turned east onto a dirt road and his two companions began throwing out roofing nails in an effort to puncture the tires of the posse's machines. He then turned into a pasture where the growth became so heavy that further progress was impossible and the robbers abandoned their car and fortunately left the two hostages behind. The local sheriff and his deputies in Eastland, which is the county seat, had been called by long distance and given the news of the bank robbery. They headed that direction, hoping to catch up with the two bandits that were now on foot. Reporters followed the action from another vehicle. During the search, one search party discovered an overcoat and bloodstained gloves And later, citizens found a suitcase and a pile of blood-stained rags. In the suitcase were cotton and gauze, showing that the bandits had entered their enterprise with the knowledge that there might be some bloodshed. Despite the search efforts, the bandits were able to evade the search parties. One of the results of the holiday crime was its tragic implications for little children in Eastland County. On Christmas Eve, a church in Eastland was filled and jolly Saint Nick walked through the door and a little boy called out with a quiver in his voice, Santa Claus, why did you rob that bank? When the bandits wrecked their car in Putnam, they then successfully commandeered a vehicle driven by Carl Wiley, a young driller, forcing him as their hostage to drive the vehicle. During the seizure of that car, Mr. Wiley's father fired his shotgun aimed at the car. Unfortunately, his bullet struck his son. After hiding out all night with nothing to eat but oranges, which by the way, they did not offer the young boy, Helms, Hill and Ratliff decided to return to Cisco to hide in plain sight. They released Wiley and his car and stole another. The wounded bandits, especially Ratliff, were doing poorly due to their injuries, lack of food. The weather conditions were horrible. The next morning, the three men were ambushed by Sheriff Foster in the little town of South Bend in Young County. As they tried to cross the Brazos River, officers spotted the single-seated vehicle with three occupants approaching. The driver caught sight of a gun in the hands of one of the officers and began backing rapidly down the road. Then, as the members of the posse jumped into their automobiles, the car sped away. A car chase followed with a shootout in an oil field as the three tried to escape. Involved in the firefight was Deputy Sheriff Cy Bradford Famous for bringing law and order into the coal fields of Strawn and neighboring towns, and later as a Texas Ranger during the turbulent oil days. Before Bradford's car had rolled to a stop, he was out with old Betsy, his double barreled shotgun. Bradford fired once, and one of the fugitives fell. The bandits ran on, firing back over their shoulders. Again, Bradford shot. And again, a man went down, but got back up and staggered away. The officer shoved the other shell into the gun and shot again. And the third desperado slumped to his knees, but he got back up, disappearing into the derricks. Ratliff was hit and fell to the ground while Helms and Hill, although wounded, escaped into the woods by the Brazos River, which offered the perfect concealment. Ratliff was reportedly a walking arsenal bearing no fewer than six gunshot wounds and six pistols when they captured him, but Santa Claus had finally been caught. The intense manhunt for Helms and Hill, directed by Ranger Captain Tom Hickman, pressed on so as to not allow the wounded men an opportunity to recuperate. But despite airplane assistance, the search team could not spot the fleeing men. However, their trail was picked up, and the end of the chase evidently was not far because their footprints were so closely spaced, showing that they were tiring from this long chase and probably from the blood loss. They were finally apprehended in Graham, Texas on December 30th, seven days after the bank robbery. They had been attempting to find the location of a rooming house in Graham, but the men from whom they asked directions noticed their pistols and notified authorities. The two were taken into custody without a fight. Hill was captured with three pistols and Helms with four. Though Helms, Hill and Ratliff had several wounds each and none had eaten for days, all three would survive and face trials. Helms was second to stand trial after Ratliff. He was identified as the one who had gunned down both lawmen and he was given the death sentence in late February. After an unsuccessful insanity plea, he was executed by electric chair on September 6th in 1929 in Huntsville, Texas. He is said to have had cabbage, sausage, tomatoes, coffee, and pie for his last meal. Hill was last to be tried. He pleaded guilty to armed robbery and took the stand on his own behalf. Of course, he was crying for mercy and citing his unhappy childhood. In March, he was given a sentence of 99 years. Hill would escape from prison three times and he would be captured each time. And finally, after settling down, he was paroled in the mid-1940s reportedly changed his name, and became a productive citizen. In 1996, Hill passed away. On January 27, 1928, Ratliff was convicted of armed robbery and was also sentenced to 99 years in prison. Emma Mae Robinson, the 10-year-old hostage, testified and identified Ratliff as the man, disguised as Santa Claus, who had robbed the bank and kidnapped her. Months later on March 30th, he was sentenced to execution for his role in the deaths of Officer Bedford and Carmichael, although no one could testify to having seen Ratliff, dressed as Santa, fire a gun from the bank. Ratliff appealed his case, and when that failed, began behaving oddly in hopes of an insanity plea. He began acting insane the day of Helm's execution. Later, his mother, Rela Carter, filed for a lunacy hearing in Huntsville. On January 27, 1928, Ratliff was convicted of armed robbery and was also sentenced to 99 years in prison. Emma Mae Robinson, the 10-year-old hostage, testified and identified Ratliff as the man, disguised as Santa Claus, who had robbed the bank and kidnapped her. Months later, on March 30th, He was sentenced to execution for his role in the deaths of Officers Bedford and Carmichael, although no one could testify to having seen Ratliff fire a gun from the bank. Ratliff appealed his case, and when that failed, began behaving oddly in hopes of an insanity plea. Later, his mother, Rila Carter, filed for a lunacy hearing in Huntsville. The citizens of Eastland County grew infuriated to learn that Ratliff had not already been executed for his deeds and were further aggravated by this new development. Judge Davenport ordered Ratliff be extradited to Eastland County Jail, writing a bench warrant for armed robbery of the Harris's Oldsmobile. On November 18th, while awaiting execution there, Ratliff faked paralysis. This caused the jailers to feed and bathe him and take him to the toilet. Having duped the jailers, the man who had played Santa managed to get a hold of a six-shooter in an office desk, fatally wounding one jailer and violently fighting the second jailer. Most of the town, including the fighting jailer's daughter, watched helplessly through the jail windows, unable to break open the steel door to help the jailer as he pinned Ratliff down, beat him to unconsciousness, then returned him to his cell. The next morning, a crowd began to gather at the jail and by that evening had grown to nearly 2,000 all clamoring for Ratliff. The jail refused their demands, but was overpowered by about 20 men who rushed in and dragged Ratliff outside. They tied his hand and feet, carrying him to a vacant lot behind the local Majestic Theater. There, they threw a rope over a guy wire between two telephone poles, on which they intended to hang the bad Santa. The first attempt failed when the knot came loose, and he fell to the ground. The second time, however, they used a stronger rope and were successful. His last words were, "'Forgive me, boys,' before he was hoisted 15 feet in the air." Ratliff was pronounced dead 20 minutes later at 9.55 p.m. on November 19th. There were some Eastland residents that erected a marker and picket fence around a utility pole in back of the theater although this marker may or may not be the actual poll. Jones would die later that evening, bringing the total number of dead as a result of the Santa Claus bank robbery, including three bank robbers, to a total of six. And although a grand jury was formed, no one was ever tried in association with the hanging of Ratliff. Several thousand people viewed Ratliff's body the next day at a furniture store in Eastland, before Judge Garrett ordered the corpse locked up. Ratliff's family would eventually take possession of the body and arrange for a funeral in Fort Worth with burial at Olivet Cemetery. Many people in the city of Cisco over the years have claimed to have been present at the robbery or related to someone who was, and now, as you can imagine, this is a part of local folklore. The greatest manhunt in the history of West Texas was over, and the most celebrated of all the trials ever held in Eastland's District Court's old courthouse was also the last. At the end of this trial, the building was demolished. The First National Bank still stands in the city of Cisco, although it's in a new building. It features a painting of the robbery as well as a collection of newspaper clippings and pictures of those involved. In 1967, the Texas State Historical Survey Committee, now the Texas Historical Commission, placed a medallion on the bank commemorating the robbery.